Anyway, great to be with you. If I haven't met you before, my name's James, and I've got my fifth cup of tea of the day. <laughs> Maybe the best. Um, so, I'm continuing in our values series today. You were given um, little flyers, and hopefully... If I was to ask any single person in the church, apart from maybe somebody who's here who's for, here for the first week, you would just know them off by heart, and that's what I love about you guys. So um, we printed them so that you had them, so that you would realise what they are. But So I'm continuing in our foundation series, and these really, just to come back, are our visionary values. This is not only who we hope we already are to a degree, but this is who we are aspiring to be more of as well. And last week, Chloe, our compassion pastor, spoke on uh, courageous compassion, and uh, I heard she was awesome. It was great as we were going through the values, actually, and I was talking with Chloe. Chloe carries that value. Do you know what I mean? You want somebody who carries it, and we were talking, and uh, Chloe's like, but I'm not a preacher, and it was just that moment. It's like, Chloe, you've really got to speak on this, and she is a preacher. That's what we, that's what we realize, and... Uh, so hopefully she'll be back next week, but uh, moving into retirement for me. But she, she's awesome, and she really does carry it. So I hope you enjoyed that. Now, today I'm continuing by looking at the value of outrageous generosity. Now, I don't think this is controversial at all to say that we live in a consuming culture. We just do. The questions that most people are asking are, what can I get? What can I acquire? What can I own? What about me? What about my rights? What about what I deserve? What about what I need? And if I was to be honest, underlyingly, for the majority of people, more in the West, would be this sense of entitlement. It's all about me. It's all a... What a voice. Audition over. But it's all about me. It's all about me. And the truth is that Jesus' teachings just slap us around the face, don't they? <laughs> and they go, it's not all about you. And it stands at odds with our culture and increasingly so in, into the culture in which we're becoming a part of. And so to follow Jesus is to change our question from what can I get to what can I give? That's a big shift though, isn't it? What can I give? The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. In Luke 6, verse 38, it says this, Given it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And the picture that you're given there is almost of a cloak at the time. And they'd have put stuff in and you've carried it and it's overflowing. It's just coming out all over the place. And there's a kingdom principle in here of generosity, of giving, of, and you can outwork that in multiple different areas of life. But to change from getting to giving requires a change in us. Outrageous generosity requires a transformation of our hearts. I was asked this week, actually, by somebody, they were just like, why did you call it outrageous generosity? I was like, I don't really like the word radical. So radical generosity didn't really sum it up. And I want it to be so that people who've not met Jesus will not understand it. That's why it's outrageous. Because as somebody looks in on it, they're like, that's outrageous. 
That's outrageous generosity. Why, why would you do that? It's completely different. It's wholly other. It's wonderfully challenging. It's a giving away. It's an opening of our hands at a time when everything else is cling on, cling tighter, grab it, own it. It's like, I'm not an owner. I'm a steward. And it's one thing to talk about this. It's another thing to live it. Do you know what I mean? This is... This is this is hard. And so I'm realizing I'm speaking in the middle of a cost of living crisis, you know, at a time when money is hard for the majority of people in our society. And I'm talking about generosity. That's difficult. And so I'm just aware that as I'm speaking that into the room, that's challenging. But Jesus has a lot to say about this area. Outrageous generosity will challenge and stand against consumerism against materialism, from it's all about me to it's all about him. And as a church and as a community, I long for us to be known as outrageously generous, not averagely generous. That could have been the value. Let's be an averagely generous people. Let's be a moderately generous people. Let's be quite a generous people. Let's be an outrageously generous generous people can you can you see just that that word it changes it in our mind to being like because I believe that the creator of the world is outrageously generous I believe that's in his heart I believe that's who he is so I long for us to be known as outrageously generous that we look after and provide for those in need now we could say oh do you know what? that's the government's job that's what the government does no I think that's the church's job I think that's what the church is called to. I'm not saying the government shouldn't do some of that, and this is not a political statement. I'm just saying it's the church's job as well. We don't negate our responsibility and say, oh, do you know, it's all on, let the government do that. Because it's going so well. Um, <laughs> the, sorry, that wasn't political. That was, um, anyway. That we look after those in need, that we prefer one another, that we bless what God is doing. That we treat those searching for faith brilliantly. That when somebody comes and they're like, I've just got some questions about Jesus. We're like, great. That's the place that we want to be in. That we provide finances for churches yet to be planted. For communities yet to be birthed. That we create an amazing environments for young people to meet God. Do you know what? That most, the most fruitful age to develop a faith is young isn't it? So we deeply, deeply value young people in this church and we will never be ashamed of that because we think it's so deeply and important in a country that has lost its youth in terms of Christianity, in terms of faith. Well, what is it to lean against that? To even say, well, the Lord has given us so many young people, but that's not something we just go, oh, let's chuck them out the back. Let's give them a bit of do you see what I mean? It's like, no, we're developing an army for faith. That we're instilling values and beliefs and a love of the scriptures and a love of worshipping. That has to be part of what we're called to. That we support people working overseas. That we give our time and money to helping those caught in addictions. That we provide housing for the vulnerable. Coming back to the, you know, we believe in... Feeding the poor. But we also believe not just in relief, but we believe in development 
We don't want them to just, it's great to feed people. I'm up for that. But I'm also up for them having their lives changed at the next stage. You know, the tea advert house, it's like, and uh, do you know what? To be honest, it's been tricky. It's not been easy. It's been really hard. But then often dealing with chaotic people and chaotic lifestyles is difficult, and we should expect that. But does that mean we draw back, or does that mean that we lean in? And we go, actually, this has been difficult, but actually, this is what we're called to. This is what, this is what the people of God are called to, to see lives changed. That people can have dignity in their life. That we're not just giving a handout, but it's like, do you know what? Can we help you change your life? Can we give you somewhere to live? Can we give you some way of employing you? One of the things that I'd love to see in our church is employment. Sorry, tangent, but important tangent. I'm like, what would it for, for us as a church to begin to employ people across our city who've really struggled with work? That we use the money that we've been given, we steward it to bring in the heavenly city. That we are a people give. Do you know what makes generous churches? Generous people. It's an attitude, it's a culture, it's who we are and it's who we want to be more. Generosity is found in God's heart. Generosity postures our heart towards the Lord's. We talk a lot about discipleship in this church and we have a whole framework of it. Live like Jesus, trying to be more like him. But learning to live in an increasingly generous way is part of our discipleship to Jesus. And it's an area that if we're not careful, we don't talk about because it's difficult. Money's difficult. Some of you, even as I start talking about generosity, there's like, (gasps) and it can be awkward. But Jesus doesn't steer away from awkward topics because actually the hardest topics are generally the areas where we need the most discipleship. Learning to live with a generous mindset is part of what it means to live like Jesus. Generosity unlocks our hearts to live open-handed, expansive lives. Now, if you're here for the first time, I just want to reassure you I don't talk about this every week. I really don't. In fact, I haven't spoken on this for over a year since we did the to Not to him who's able. He will be exalted. Sorry. The he will be exalted where we we did. We, We spoke about this. But I haven't spoken on giving for over a year and generosity for over a year. But it is still important to talk about it. And like all areas of discipleship, we want to live in a way that reflects God's heart. There is something about giving freely of what we have that enables us to give freely of who we are. Billy Graham, Billy Graham once incisively said, and this was the days of checkbook, so just change this to bank account. I did have a checkbook once. Our bank account is a theological document. It tells you what you believe in. I'm just going to wait on that for a moment because that's pretty tough. It's not tough. It's pretty challenging. It's a theological document that tells you what you believe in. Now, today I want to focus in on Acts 4, verses 31 to 37, because it's a picture of the early church and the generosity of that community. And I want to look at that community and say, the danger is what we do is we're like, yeah, but that's 2,000 years ago. (laughs) James, that's completely unrealistic. Or we can look at it and be like, that is deeply challenging. So rather than just kind of writing it off and saying that's 2,000 years ago, I want to let the words of Scripture challenge you. 
bit of background to the passage. Some of you will know Acts well, others won't. It's the, really just the story of the early church, the beginnings through Pentecost. And then in Acts 3, we see this beautiful picture of a, a man who can't walk being healed. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk, Peter and John. So this guy starts jumping around. It's a miracle. He's, been, he's not been able to do that. He's been lame for 30 years. And so he starts jumping around in the temple. Well, you can imagine it caused a stir. And everyone's like, what? What's going on? This is incredible. The whole community is speaking about it. And as a result, Peter and John start preaching like they do. They're like, yes, kingdom moment. Come on, Jesus will forgive your sins. And so there's uproar in the community. I mean, it's wild what's going on. And they, and they don't know what to do. They're just, the, the authorities at this moment are just, shut them up, shut them up, shut them up. So they come up with a brilliant idea, throw them into prison. He doesn't shut them up. They just go into prison and start preaching. But chapter 4, verse 4 says this, but many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So that's just the men, men and women, probably 10,000. So loads of people are coming to faith. The fire is growing and the message is spreading. And they just can't shut them up. They're, they're just telling everybody in prison, anybody with a pulse, that they need to get right with God. And when they're released from jail, they go back to the people and they start praying. And this prayer is not for safety, but for boldness. I want you to just transport yourself into this situation. You've seen a miracle. You've been part of it. And you, there's been this preaching moment. You've been thrown in prison. What do you do? Your immediate response, go underground. That would be what we would... Do you know what I mean? It's like... Ooh, that was a bit risky. I'm going to shut up and I'm going to keep my head down till it's all blown over. Peter and John, not so much. And, it's, and it says this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Bang. It's like, this is a kingdom moment. We will not back off. We will not back down. In fact, we're going to go the opposite way. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They've just seen this incredible miracle. And they're like, we want to see more. We're not happy with the one. God break in after they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Again, would have been profound. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It's quite a community, isn't it? Just that picture. What an amazing community. The passage tells us that the early church and the early Christians were extremely visibly different from everyone else in their attitude towards money that's what we see here it was different it says no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own but they shared everything that they had so this is telling us that the main, one of the main ways in which the world understood christians were different was in their economic mindset the way they dealt with their possessions and their money so that's what people looked in on they're like you do this differently one of the greatest dangers for the church is to look like the world just got to look more like the world. No, we don't. We have to look less like the world and more like Jesus. 
And that's what's going on in this passage. In the midst of this passage, and also in Acts 2, which is like a parallel passage before very similar kind of language. In fact, wherever the life of the early church is described, we see the Christians' phenomenal generosity. It set them apart. They look different. You see in verses 31 to 33 in this passage, in verse 31, we're told they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 32, it immediately says, as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, they no longer considered anything. They had their own and they shared everything. That was the outworking of the Spirit in that moment. And we can try and explain it away and we can say, do you know what? James, it's just so unrealistic in the culture in which we live. It was a long time ago. Culture's moved on. Times are different. Money makes the world go round. You could say all of that. And I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. But there's something in here, isn't there? There's something in here that's compelling. We can explain it away or we can be deeply impacted by it. We can think in what ways has our society conditioned our minds to think about money? Or even our money. I know from my own life that generosity still preaches to people. I had a great story this week, actually, somebody was just sharing in our, in our staff meeting. You know, financially, they've been really struggling. And somebody had actually just taken them under their wing. And they were just at a, me- they were just at a meeting, and this person gave them a gift. And it didn't stop there. It was just kind of a gift. And they're like, oh, that's really, that's really beautiful. And then a couple of days later, they took them out for a meal. Gave him another gift, helped him fix something. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's what I'm talking about. And to the person who'd been blessed, that was deeply profound in our community. They were like, that's amazing. So it, giving is beautiful, but at the right time, receiving is also beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Because all of us will go through times when financially it's hard or we need God's provision in some area of our life. And when God provides, it is the most beautiful thing. I was just standing in the West just now doing the same talk. For the, You probably haven't been on that journey, but it's been really hard. Like the provision of we've been in the stadium, which keeps putting its prices up and it's a nightmare and can't do refreshments and there's no kids' rooms to grow in. And it's been really difficult. And so last week they moved into their new... £64 million building paid for by the government. Thank you, government. (laughs) And it's really beautiful because I'm sitting there going, this is the Lord's provision. This is how the Lord's provided for us. We didn't have £64 but the government did. But the reason it's been so difficult is because it's been limiting what we can do and all of those things and the site growing and it's been, it's been really stressful. But so my point is standing in there and feeling the Lord's blessing on something, when the Lord has responded to something, you're like, oh, this is amazing. And for most people in that room, they probably don't know. But you know when you know what the Lord's done and you're like, oh, this is so good. And radical, outrageous generosity with their money leads to a deep togetherness. This is what you see in this community. A powerful impact on the society. They broke bread in each other's homes with glad and generous hearts. They led people coming into their community every day. The Lord added to their number daily that those were being saved. They are, they, this community exploded in number. Do you know what I mean? Like, they went from quite a small community where there are, you know, different things that... The 12, the 72, the 120, the Lord added to their number many, many people. And so they would have exploded in size. That would have been quite challenging as well. 
I imagine it's like, who are all these new people? They're so needy. Do they not know where I sit? That's my seat. No, but you know what I mean? It's just like we, we struggle with these things sometimes. The outside world couldn't understand it, and that's why they listened. And whenever the preachers of the community preached the message of Jesus Christ, people listened because they said, how can we account for the radically different way in which these people regard their money? One of the early Roman emperors was a guy called Julian who tried to hold back the spread of Christianity and revive the pagan religion, and he couldn't do it. And in his disgust, I love this, he wrote to one of his friends to talk about why the Christians were succeeding and why they were spreading. And he says in a letter that's come down to us, their success lies in their charity to all. They take care of not only their own poor, but ours as well. Don't you think that's really powerful? So we have a double mandate that we are called to look after our own, actually, because they're in our community and where there is need. We're called to bless that. But we're also called to bless the world. That they didn't only look after their own, but they looked after ours as well. Their hearts were detached from the things of this world, from possessing and owning and controlling to giving and generosity and stewarding. And the question that comes up, of course, is why were these questions, Christians sorry, so different? It's got to be an experience of God's grace, hasn't it? It says in verse 33, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. God's grace. I know I spoke about this in grace-filled community, but if I'm really honest, grace is at the bottom of many things, <laughs> isn't it? That, that moment of just understanding it's all his. He's done it all. He's saved me. That I'm a steward, not an owner. And that, sh- that mentality is why it's so important to keep coming back to this subject, is because what happens over time is we go back into thinking like owners. And it's like, I'm a steward. The parable of the talents. I've been given, you've asked me to invest. Where have I invested? Understanding God's grace unlocks outrageous generosity. Many Christians think like this. It's mine. I worked for it. I don't have nearly enough of it. And I really deserve to have a lot more. I see other people who don't work nearly as hard as I do and they seem to have more of it. How can I get more? But when we experience God's grace, it changes our relationship and attitude to money. You look at your money and say, do you know what, Lord? It's not mine. I don't feel that it's mine. I don't see it as mine. And if you haven't had an experience of grace... In other words, when somebody comes to you and they ask for your money and you don't have an experience of grace, what happens is you're annoyed. Something comes up in you. It's like, oh, my precious. <laughs> you're annoyed. You're irritable. You're touchy about people asking for your money. You don't like it. If, on the other hand, you've had a real experience of God's grace as a Christian, when people ask for your money, you might feel sad because you don't have any. That's okay. Do you know what I mean? You're like, I'm really sorry. If I had more, I'd give you some. I genuinely don't have any. But you're not upset. You're not touchy. Can I show you why? Because the Bible says if you've experienced God's grace, you too will have a revolutionary different way of regarding and looking at your money. So you know how we like to talk in many companies about money being the bottom line. Do you know what I mean? The bottom line is the money. Why is it the bottom line? 
Because it's the thing that really, really, really tells you how you're doing. That's what the bottom line is. And yes, you can say, well, the company's a mess. There are people at each other's throats. And yes, we blew this and we blew that. But what's the bottom line? Have we made more money? And the bottom line tells you whether or not you're making progress. And it tells you how you're doing. But believe it or not, even the Bible says money is the bottom line in your life. That's kind of shocking, isn't it? So you can talk about how much you love God. You can talk about how much the grace of Jesus Christ means to you. You can talk about how much you love your brothers and sisters in Jesus. But the bottom line, the thing that's unmistakable, the thing that's down there right at the bottom that tells you where your heart is and what you really, really believe is where you spend your money and what your attitude towards money is. That's what it tells you. So if you want to know where someone's heart is, look at what they spend their money on. Look at their bank statement. In my experience, people that are generous are intentional with their money. They pray about it and they seek about how it can be best used. Now, Jen, my wife, became a Christian in her first year at university. Quite a dramatic, just complete atheist. God broke into her life, went on Alpha, became a Christian. And in her second term of her being at university, she heard a talk about kingdom generosity and started giving regularly a tenth of her student loan. I'd always been a Christian. I liked the idea of being generous in the kingdom, but just never quite got round to it till my third year. We had a building project at our church, a bit like we did recently. Jen gave, I never quite got round to it. She decided that she could go without one pint a week and so gave £10 a month extra on top of what she already gave. Now, the other factor to take into account was that I have loads more money than Jen as a student. She lived off her loan. I was given an allowance. She, I wasted my money and she invested hers. Now, Jen has taught me an incredible amount about intentional generosity. When I say, let's give to something, she says, brilliant, where's it going to come from? And I say, what do you mean? And she's like, well, what, do you, what are you going to sacrifice? And I'm like, nothing, we're just going to give. It's going to come from the pot in the sky. <laughs> and you know, I found that deeply, deeply challenging because she's intentional. Whereas I'm just like, yeah, let's just give. It's going to be great. But where from? Oh, I don't want to ask that question. But you know what? As the years have gone on, we've been blessed and entrusted with more financially. And I've come to realize that generosity is intentional as well as spontaneous. Ever since students, we've given what we believe to be the first fruits of what Jesus gives us to the church, and that's 10% of our income. To start with, that really wasn't very much. When I was on six grand <laughs> a year, do you know what I mean? It, was, it really was like, it was a small amount of money, but that's grown as time's gone on. We give the tithe and we give to various charities on top of that as well. And I tell you this, not in any way to blow my own trumpet. In fact, I look quite bad in this story. I should have told a different one. Um, I tell you this because each year I believe that the Lord calls me and Jen into greater generosity. And as we give away, that grip that materialism has on our hearts is broken and we experience freedom. Is it easy? No. It's really not easy sometimes. You're like, oh, this is costly. But as I look at cross our church and I see all that God's doing as I go to the west site I sit there and I go I invested in this as I come here I'm like 
I invested in those refreshments. As I go into the kids' groups, I go, I invested in those kids' groups. As I see the compassion ministries, I go, I invested in those compassion ministries. I get to sit there and go, ah, I invested in this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 8, when he's asking the Corinthians church to give to a hunger relief, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm just looking for the sincerity of your love. God, that's hard, isn't it? I'm not commanding you give. I'm just looking for the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, so those rich became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. I had this story actually earlier as well, just while I was preaching in the West, and I want to tell it here. For parents in here, I think it's deeply important that we teach our children about this principle. So one of the things that I owe many things to my parents who are in the West Side, Bruce and Lynn, if you've ever met them. But when I was younger, we used to have a little box, which was our giving box, our little tithing box. So I had a little sheet and every week I used to put 50p in the box or whatever it was. Me and my sister at various times had IOU 27 pounds giving box. Do you know what I mean? But one of the things that it did in me from a very early age, though, it was put this foundation of giving in. So I know I didn't get around to it as a student, but for me, it's just always been there of, yeah, we give. We give the first fruits of what the Lord's given us. That's just... And actually, we get to put that into our children and our youth. Do you know what I mean? And so I guess there's just a... I'm just putting it out there as a discipleship thing. Actually, if you put the foundations in, it's much harder when somebody comes to faith later in life. Do you know what I mean? Because they set the whole world up differently. And it's like, well, how would I even give? Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you built your whole foundation in a particular way, which is we give to the Lord first, then suddenly you're kind of set up for the rest of your life because you don't live off that extra. It's just the way that you do it. So I'm just an encouragement. I'm deeply grateful to my parents for having put that into my life. And I just wonder whether it's something that we put into our children's lives as well. When I was the youth pastor at Trent and we were doing a building project, this story's always blown me away. I, did, I took the youth on the journey. We probably had about 80 youth at the time. I can't remember. But quite a lot. Uh, and I was like, okay, we're gonna, what are we going to give to this project? Do you know what I mean? This isn't just for adults. This is, we all get to give, don't we? Like, this is, do you know what? The youth, over a number of years, they gave 10 grand. So my point is, a lot goes a long, sorry, a little goes a long way. I would much rather have a culture of generosity with a little in our church than I would have two or three rich people fund this church. I doesn't like, <laughs> yeah, it'd be really nice. But no, because, I'm, because the point is, it's all of us. It's not the 20, 30, 40% that get to give. This is all of us get to give. We all get to be generous. When in the same way the Pareto principle is 20% do it and 80% watch. It's like, well, no, what about 80% do it? And if we don't have very much, we don't give very much. It's the widow's might. It's the story of the widow's might. I don't have very much. But I have what I have, I give. And I think if we could instill that as a culture, outrageous generosity, because the Lord has always provided whatever we've needed. So I'm not sitting here going, oh, there's a lack. But this is something that we get to push into. This is something that we get to grow in. This is something we get to live out, that we get to be the most generous people in the city. That when they speak about our church, they're like, that church is so generous. It blessed us. And it keeps blessing us. My heart always goes where I put God's money. You will always give money effortlessly to that which is your God. 
If you see your salvation is in Jesus, then your attitude towards your money is, I want to give it away in radical and drastic proportions. I want to change people's lives through it, and it's not mine. On the other hand, if your salvation is your clothes, if your salvation is your looks, if your salvation is romance, if your salvation is your own status, if your own salvation is security in life, then you're going to hold on to that money, and it's going to go effortlessly to the things which are your real God. The greatest danger probably, and it's really interesting preaching for me in the different sites and services, because take, let's say I'm next week I'll be preaching in Central Evening, where the probably average age is 17 to 25. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, that's a very different thing that's going on, but it's absolutely the same principle. For me, do you know what I mean? The principle's the same. How are you going to build generosity in your life? Do you know what? You probably have very little. You probably earn peanuts. But what is it for you to start that journey of generosity now? And then as we get older, and I'm mid-40s now. Terrible. Act like a 12-year-old. But um, security just becomes a bigger deal, doesn't it? You're suddenly like, oh, got to get secure. Got to make good decisions. And I'm not against that. I think that's really important. But the danger is we stop being radically generous. Because security becomes our number one thing. Do you know what? Do you know where our treasure is going to be laid up? It's not here. It's in heaven. Your treasure is in heaven. There's, I haven't got time to go into it. There's a whole different talk. But the treasure is going to be in heaven. It's not here. So I need to keep shifting my mindset to being like, Lord, what are you calling me to bless? Where are you calling me to be generous? What have you got for me? As I come into land, I want to ask you whether you'd consider playing your part in building our foundations. Foundations, this is the whole series that I've been talking about, but the Lord gave me a picture this week as I was just preparing. And I want you to just picture it with me. Just picture kind of a big rectangle foundation. That was the picture the Lord gave me. So I thought, that's interesting. Foundations, well, that's pretty apt. And then over the top of it, he'd superimposed, didn't get rid of that foundation, a whole next layer of structure of foundation so you've got the solidity of the one foundation and he really spoke to me about that all that he wants to build on top of it and I felt like what he said to me is the generosity of our beautiful core has enabled the foundation to be built so far when we moved down 15 years ago and we planted this church I moved down with 16 other intrepid explorers do you know what? They all tithed to the church, and they still tithe. Do you know what I mean? They are a beautiful core of faithful givers. Not only are they beautiful servants, but they are beautiful givers, and they have always been beautiful givers. That enabled our church. That was the first foundation of the church that we could welcome people in, because we could hire the Millennium Stadium where we started. Do you know what I mean? We could provide refreshments. We could do the things. They built the first core. During covid Pretty tough, but actually our giving held firm during COVID, which is pretty remarkable. Didn't grow, but it held firm. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. That is amazing. We managed to keep everything going. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In terms of we didn't have to like cut all over the place. We managed to keep the thing afloat. That's the foundation. So if you picture that rectangle foundation, that is the 200 people that regularly give to our community. And so I just want to take a moment to say, if you regularly give to our community, thank you for standing with us during this last season. Thank you for everything that you've given. That as you go around our church, you can sit there and be like, I invested in that. I invested in that. I paid for that newcomers. I did those different things because you did. 
And so what I'm saying about this next picture is that I'm asking the next wave of people to build the foundation. It's like, we have built the foundation this far. What would it be? And that's a journey between you and Jesus. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I believe that giving, giving comes out of a place of grace that is not a guilt issue. It's not a bit like, just give. It's like, this is an invitation to grace to build what the Lord has for our next journey. Isaiah 54, which again, the Lord spoke to me. We've had this word a number of times. Verses two to three, he says, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Now the context is Israel in exile, but we've been given that for us. And it's basically saying, make your tent bigger, open your doors wide, don't think small. The message translation puts it even better, spread out, think big. I started with the boldness of Peter and John that they weren't backing down. Do you know what I mean? They're like, God, you're going to move. They were pushing forwards. God's always provided what we've needed for every step of the journey. And we're asking you to, before the Lord, be like, Lord, what can I give to this? Over the next year, we're going to be launching a new church in Blackwood in the Valleys, which is pretty exciting. Um, that will be an extension of who we are. So that is like, uh, imagine an arm into the Valleys. We have been given a building in Blackwood. Um, that we're just in the process of taking, it's massive. It's far beyond, it's the Lord's provision. It's like, how could you say no? Somebody wants to give you a massive building. And then suddenly the sleepless nights of, yes, Lord, but how does that work? It's like answers on the back of a postcard. But uh, no, but genuinely, I'm just like, step. It's like, this is the Lord, go for it. We're going to be launching another site in early 2025. So we're going to be having to build for that. Um, we said that we were going to launch five sites with three sites. We've got some people that want to lead another site. So that's awesome. Um, our youth is growing fast. If anybody's ever been to our youth on a Tuesday night, it's wild. You just turn up and you're like, oh, they're coming over the hill. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's over 50 youth in small groups now. Do you know what I mean? Like regularly. It's beautiful. Like I, I gave Rach and Dave actually them a word um about six months ago i was like are oh, you going to double this year it looks like it um but that's that's be again i'm talking about being entrusted with young people's lives that is beautiful in a time when the church is struggling we've got an army of young people our sites need developing and resource our compassion projects have enormous need chloe mentioned it last week didn't she it's like there is in society, a hurricane going on around the cost of living crisis, which means that people, there is need. There is deep, deep need. Whether it's Tiadva, whether it's Grow Baby, whether it's our food co-op that we're feeding people with. Do you know what I mean? It's just like there is need. And we want to not just sustain. It's not like, hey, batten down the taxes, it's sustain. It's like, no, they preach the word of God boldly. They continue to move forwards. So I'm asking every person who calls our church home to go before Jesus and ask him what they should give. Because I think it's important to regularly review our giving. There's um, the flyers on the chair on the back of theirs, like a giving, a way of giving. And the forms are not there to cajole you into changing your existing standing order or to press you into starting one. They're there because many of you today know that you want to make a change. And it's more like that. Some of you have never started to give. And do you know what? Genuinely, it's not because you don't want to because you're like me, you just never got around to it. Others of you, it's like actually even me talking about it, it's like, oh, that's challenging. 
Go before the Lord. Be like, Lord, what does that look like? For others of you, you had an uplift in your salary over the last couple of years. And you're like, oh, do you know what? That's changed. Just maybe have a look at your giving and see what it needs to be in this next stage. And then finally, would you consider, for some of you, giving a one-off gift? Our compassion ministries, our restore ministries that Chloe spoke about last night. No, last week, sorry, not last night. We need to invest in them. We've been given some grants over the last year, which has been brilliant to kind of bolster them. But actually, the giving climate right now is pretty difficult in terms of grants. And we've got a lot of things running. And we just want to give, we want to be outrageously generous in this area of restore. So if, if you wanted to give a one-off gift, it would be gratefully received, if you know what I mean. So as a ch- in finishing, as a church, we want to be known as being outrageously generous that they were different. So why don't we stand? Do you remember that picture that I just gave of open-handedness right now? I just love it. If you just come before the Lord, I... I realize that this is a really tricky area for probably every individual in this room. So let's just say it's tricky for all of us. (laughs) So why don't we just open ourselves up before the Spirit right now? Just reminded of that passage. It says the place that they were praying was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the grace of God fell on them. So Jesus has just asked for that right now. May your spirit move in, in your people. 